to the Selfish Podcast. I am your host, Luke Greenheart, and this podcast is going to cover everything self, self love, self care, and overall self development. I will be talking about my own personal experiences and perspective, as well as interviewing guests on their journey, their life, and their personal experience. Stay tuned, enjoy the show. I appreciate you being here. Welcome to the Selfish Podcast. Today I have a special guest, Thomas Catan. Now this is a, a friend of a previous podcaster, Anthony, who has recommended uh, to me to interview because he is a lifestyle coach and helps people with their journeys, their emotions and their progress. I'm very interested to know more about his personal journey, his personal progress. So welcome, Thomas. Can I first hear about your childhood, hear about your life, paint me a picture of what life was like uh, prior to 10 years old? Wow, cool. Wow. Thank, thank you, Luke. Um, really excited to be here and to share, to share this conversation together because I feel that you also have a really interesting mindset and I would love to explore that as well. So to yes, kind of... definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's <laughs> the beauty of it, right? It's just like humans connecting and finding each other's talents and how we kind of manage to navigate through, we can call it trauma, we could call it hiccups, we could call it blind spots. And that's the beauty. That's uh, the, the ability to share the things that another person wasn't able to see. So we can yeah. give them the ability to see further from, uh, from where they are. So, yeah, so my childhood. Um, interesting. So I've, I'm half Italian, half English. I lived for 13 years in northern Italy near uh, Trieste. And I would say the childhood was quite normal. Uh, middle class. <laughs> nothing special uh, then things started to change when I when my parents moved to the opposite side of Italy down to Puglia so the, the heel of Italy and in that process um, I really remember that moment very vividly when my parents told me hey we're moving down and for probably the last three four months before moving I remember cycling to school and just being thankful and just saying hi and goodbye to everything that I would encounter to the clock on the street to the bank to the uh, to the the old lady or to the trees or to the curb to to the window that I didn't see or didn't spot and I just reflected this a few months ago I was doing a training in intuition and it was this beautiful moment realizing that as humans we are wired to pay attention to our environment when in a way, quote unquote, it is threatened. And what beautiful perspective we can have when we don't need something to threaten us to pay attention to what we already have and to be grateful about it. And yeah. so that, I suppose that started to lead me into the process of just paying attention to be the observer, to, to be silent and to question a lot. And so my teenagerhood was quite in a way unusual as I had almost no social interaction um, as I went down into a quite a depressive stage, uh, feeling alienated, feeling that I didn't really connect with the culture, with uh, my peers. And I just felt that what I was reading in school was just completely out of date and illogical. And um, I remember kind of venting my frustration to a friend and he kind of looked at me and said, do you know about Ted? And I'm like, no, who's Ted? It's like, no, no, Ted is not a person. I was like, okay, so what is Ted? Ted is a platform. 
okay? And so he kind of shared with me the beauty of TED Talks. And yeah, from and it's, that, uh, it's very interesting yeah. that from such an early age that you had that awareness that you was actually leaving something behind to say goodbye to it. For many people, when you move when you're young, it's not till after the move you realize and reflect what you're missing and what's gone and you'll never probably see it in the same way. So it's interesting that you had that so quickly, that awareness find very interesting and you're saying with um school and not fitting in was it the same before you moved or only once you moved the school became a bit different no it was definitely a big part of my mind my parents saw that I was really really depressed um and when I was nine they moved me from conventional school to a Steiner school for a year and that was you know that was quite a breather for me to recognize wow wow look at this there's there's a alternative education system where we get to play with dirt. We get to go down to the forest, pick the leaves and do biology. Like it's so interactive and the grade isn't, Hey, you got, a, you know, you got a fail or a pass. It's, it's a story. It's a narrative that shows you where you are in your journey of progress. And that really just, just stood with me. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah, it's so, interesting. That's very different to school life for me in England. It wasn't, it wasn't like that, you know, it's, did you remember and regurgitate the information we told you? And yeah, tick exactly. if you do, and X if you don't. <laughs> if you have a free Ford or uh, something, often the teachers look at you a little bit like, why are you doing this? You know, like for me, I lost interest in school very early. I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Uh, I enjoyed the social side of it only. Mm, yeah. So, so did you find that, uh, were there any teachers that, kind of held a strong position for you where they shined through the system they played the rule of the system but you could see they they were shining themselves out it was just their personality was so call it intoxicating that you just fell in love with the subject uh, I don't think so for me it was more I sort of really enjoyed science when I was uh, young. I really enjoyed biology, uh, physics, and a, a little bit chemistry because they, again, they, uh, I don't know if it was the same for you, but they separate the free through school. Yes. Um, and you have a different teacher for each. But I did find two of my science teachers that I looked forward to their lessons, but they had a very uh, a light personality. I would say very, they smiled and they, they looked like they enjoyed what they did. Whereas every mm -hmm. other teacher really didn't seem to enjoy what they was doing and you could see it and feel it. So I found yeah, um, that, but I was also interested in the science. So I think it's a mixture of both me being actually interested in something <laughs> and the teachers being interested in what they're teaching. So yeah. for me, that, that stands out in my mind. Apart from that, yeah, none of the teachers uh, really resonated with me. None of them hold any <laughs> uh, strong memories. I couldn't even tell you their names. Okay. Yeah, did you... Do you remember what you first wanted to be and like how young you was, like when you, if you had a career or a drive or an ambition of something? Uh, that's a funny question. Yes, I do, actually. I was, uh, I must have been five. Uh, so my, my uncle, sorry, my uncle, uh, my granddad, um, until he passed away, was a scientist. And um, I really, I was really interested. I remember drawing um, I don't know the technical term, but it's non, it's non-lethal uh, weapons to reduce violence in the world. And I was like, I'm going to be that scientist that's going to 
uh, create a car. So if a thief is trying to steal the car, they just get electric sh shock and they run away. Or yeah. uh, if someone's trying to break into the door, they will just get uh, stuck in like foam and then the police can come and just cut them out of the foam <laughs> and them away. It was just that kind of like non-violent approach to, to the violence that we see in the world. So yeah. in a way, that, that passion for solving violence has really stayed with me because then that shifted into biology and that's when I went into uni and um, studying kind of stem cell research and neuroscience to understand the correlation between how our brain has a direct effect with our physical body and vice versa. So the interconnection between mind and body with an interlink with emotions. And then when I found that there is this kind of third path that triggers both mind and body, which is the, which is the emotional part, that's kind of what led me through, uh, since I was 16, the study into kind of biopsychosomatic and emotional intelligence and um, this, this kind of topic which led me to where I am now. But uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. definitely a very interesting journey. Yeah, like it um, seems it's interesting that you went into that from a young age, just seeing you wanted to basically help people from other people, say disturbances, other people's behavior. And now mm. you're looking into behavior and trying to help people with their own behavior in a way that's nonviolent, you say, because then it disrupts that violent behavior that might occur. So you're also almost leading into the path that you chose at five, which is very early to have your first uh, sort of ambition of what you want to do. And you mentioned as well that you went for a depressive state once you moved. Would you say that's your first struggle? And if not, what was your first real struggle in life? Hmm. Hmm. Well, the first one that I consciously remember is at nine years old, um, where I attempted to, well, I failed to uh, suicide myself. And that was... Um, a very powerful lesson in retrospect so it took me over 20 years <laughs> to figure out what I was trying to do in that moment um it what was happened a, in that moment so as a if I had to play first person my uh, at that time I was very unhappy with being forced to do something that I didn't like which was going to school I just felt that I was it just didn't resonate. It just felt so backwards. And I, I felt that I was in a very toxic environment where my needs weren't met and my needs weren't heard. And so I felt that my, my ability to communicate my need wasn't, wasn't, being, um, wasn't being affirmed. And so with my lack of tools, I chose in that moment to do the only way that could communicate my unhappiness. And that was to remove myself from the equation. Um, obviously in that moment, I wasn't so rational. <laughs> just looking back, I can, I can see that. And I suppose, yeah, just in that moment, I was just very unhappy and I didn't want to participate in the world anymore. And what, how far did you go? What, if you don't mind me asking, oh. like what, what happened on that? moment and it was there a sudden switch what what changed um wow interesting reflection there it just kind of occurred to me the fact that i was alone uh, i was alone with my thoughts for too long and i thought okay what's the quickest way out and we had a trampoline 
So I went upstairs and the intention was to snap my neck. So I did jump and I landed not quite on my neck, but caused quite a lot of pain. So there was that shock of realizing that what I just did and the fact that I was alive <laughs> and the fact that I was now having physical pain um, from, from the event. And moving to now, looking back, and this is something that I think is very interesting, and I would love to hear your perspective on this. Mm-hmm. It's, let, let me just pull out for a bit just to get like the really meta vision. The, the, one tr- basically revisiting this moment as an adult from the lens of what can I love about this perspective, which is still quite hard for me to do. I can get to a point where I feel neutral, I can empathize, but to love it is still um, is still quite far from me. It's a step too far. Yeah. And revisiting this episode from this neutral perspective enabled me to come out from my pain and to kind of enter through empathy into my mom's and my dad's life. And through that, I started to connect what I was actually doing, which was just insanely fascinating. And this is where I want to kind of pull out and just go into the meta view, which is we, if we accept the fact that we, we have chosen to be born and to participate in this world, then by default, every action that we're doing, whether it is negative or positive, it's a constructive feedback for the collective, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So my action was a form of communication, a very physical form of communication directed to my dad because the environment I kind of unpacked was led to him to say, hey, you need to stand up and you need to speak up. And it was almost me doing that action to like to... to, yes, remove myself from an immediate uh, pain. And from a bigger perspective was that to see that action as a form of communication to help somebody take charge in their lives. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm just really curious to, like, just hear what you think about that in terms of as a concept. And if you notice that in your own life, um, applying it to some trauma or even to like really positive events in life, how unconsciously we are constantly trying to help other people, whether we are, you know, intentionally doing it or not. Yeah, no, that's um, a lot there and it's really interesting for me and I'm really grateful and thankful that you're sharing this because uh, the issues of suicide are a big topic for me personally and to talk about and to share with the world because I think statistically it's really high anyway. But your mm. event, I imagine, was never registered anywhere, you know. No. So, so many other people have gone through experiences. It must be much more than the statistics shown they're high. Uh, and for me personally, I had the same issues from a young age. From around seven years old, I considered committing suicide. The thought was there consistently quite a lot because mm. um, I was finding, again, uh, my life just too hard. I was mm. struggling with just life. My mom had a mental illness. She had really severe schizophrenia. And it made life really strange. Um, And I just couldn't handle it. And at the time, like I had a bit of religious background. My family had religion, my nan. And um, 
so I would pray, I would cry, and I'd do all these, and just no answers would come. And I just like felt so hopeless and lost, and I wanted to not experience anymore. Similar to what you said, I just didn't want to experience. So I was mm. like, the only way to not experience is to take your life and your experiences that are gone. But what stopped me is I didn't want others to suffer my loss. I was mm. like, if I, I didn't want them to know, I never even told them. No one knew because, again, I was alone a lot. So no one really knew. Um, I didn't share it with anyone. And because I didn't take the further steps, no one got to see any aftermath of any sort. Mm -hmm. So I went through that process and decided not to at a young age and thought I'd just sort of keep going. And I ended up becoming a carer for my mum more full time and kept dealing with this issue and depression and stuff. And it was actually in 2015. So it was six years ago, I had my last suicidal thought. And this was really different. This was life had continually got harder and I was getting more obstacles in my external world. And now they were too, too bad. Before it was internally, it was too painful. And then it became externally is too frustrating. And I didn't see any hope in the future because uh, my mum had tried to commit suicide seven times that year. Every month she was taking an overdose and I was rushing her to a hospital because she just wanted out and because um, it'd been a long, long time. And my love, Danielle, she had also had a cardiac arrest that year and she survived due to the ambulance brought her back on the defibrillators. But she was then uh, had minor brain damage, but also she lost uh, nerve control to her legs and she was put in a wheelchair, medicated on morphine and she was becoming more uh, sort of like a zombie. And I was washing her, carrying her, full time mm -hmm. caring for her and then caring for my mum and sort of lost my work lost my job and I was just in a really bad state and I was walking across a bridge uh, and there were six lanes of traffic and I just had this real instinct I was like I'm just going to jump and go out of a bang and this was like trying to give a message it was like I'm going to make a big mess disrupt as many people's lives as possible as well as take my my own life and it was almost like you say like a shout like a scream for uh, an, an awareness for people to like what the hell's going on for someone to do this you know yeah. maybe it bring a, a light to some sort of situation but in that moment, I was also hit by just a sudden, right in the last moment, I was hit by a sort of sudden impact that I can change how I feel about life. There's a way that I will find to find an internal balance where I'll find joy, I'll find love within, despite my external environment, that my external environment can stay chaotic, can be whatever it's going to be. And I'll find a way to not let that get to me internally. And that sent me on a whole new path. Just reflecting on what you said, it, what stood out to me was this immense resilience. It's, it's almost as if you had a safety net put in place. So when you had that impulse to just go, I want to go out with a bang to send a strong message, which probably in that moment you weren't thinking about the message. It was more like, I just want out. And in that moment, there was that switch of going, whoa, hang on, let me just calm down and see see it from a different perspective and that's when you have the thought and the ability to see other options and therefore to make a different choice and i'm just really fascinated by and curious to know if if you connected to what was that resilience within you that drove you to this other choice to this other path yeah so in ref in reflection this is how i saw saw it's different in the moment it sort of was just uh it was almost like an impact like i, didn't, I wasn't thinking necessarily or something it was like something hit me and a switch yeah. just went in a moment and it was like on that 
I walked across the bridge. I'd gone over five lanes. There was like one more lane left. And I was, mm. I was standing still on the bridge at the time. I had come to a stop and I was thinking about it. It was like I wasn't thinking about it as I started the bridge. It was like as I was crossing it, it was like I was hit with these thoughts and these ideas to jump. And then I stopped to really think of like get close to doing it. And then I was also hit with this, like you say, resilience, something changed. Um, mm. And at the time, I don't know where it came from or what it was. And as I reflect on it now, I actually think it was down to uh, role models and influences in my life from my brother has always been a big influence in me. I've got an older brother, he's four years older, and we both went through the same sort of life with my mom. We both were caring for her, but we both had each other through all of it. And I also had influences from, uh, I was always looking because my mom had sort of lost her mind, as to say, and she wasn't acting with like conscious control. I was always looking for ways from an early age how to keep my mind. I wanted to be sane and find sanity and later start to develop like what is sanity? What, I'm, what am I looking for? What is the mind? It opened up a lot of these questions. And, um, but from early age, I started to look at people that had a lot of power, a lot of action, a lot of movement in their body who seemed to have control in their life. So I looked at like people like Bruce Lee, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, these different role models that came in and different musicians and things that seemed to have a drive and come from, especially ones that came from backgrounds where they wasn't born into it. Um, because I could see that as a, they made something with their life and got whatever they is they wanted, but with a physical form as well. I was very interested mm. in the physical form. Because I was like, if you look healthy, if whatever that was for me at the time was someone that's not overly fat, someone that has some sort of shape to their body. Like I said it could be from Bruce Lee to Arnold. They're very different in size, but they're both mm -hmm. fairly lean people. They look healthy and they can move, run and jump. And they're in the film seen as heroes. So this was really influential for me when I was young. And I think they gave me a lot of the fighting spirit, and especially on the Bruce Lee side. I used to like the philosophy side of martial arts it got me really interested in martial arts but the philosophical side the actual preaching side of it not the action I didn't go to karate classes I didn't go to any uh, fighting classes but I was really interested in the what the words were behind what they're doing mm. uh, I did start boxing when I was young when I was fighting to get my anger out to uh, just hit a bag but from a young age, I, from Bruce Lee's words, he talked about never competing because he goes, you're only competing against yourself. So he goes, you don't fight to fight others. You fight to strengthen your inner self, to fight your own sort of inner demons. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I went boxing, it was all about that. I was always challenging myself and just taking my frustration out and told my trainer, I never want to get in a fight. I said, I don't want to be a, because he wanted me to be a, an actual boxer and to go into boxing and compete. And I said, very clearly, that's just not an interest of mine them things combined gave me a lot of uh sort of inner programming to fight and to keep fighting and to never get give up and you might get knocked out but you get back up mm -hmm. them sort of teachings gave me then later in life when i got to them obstacles it was like being knocked out and you want to quit mm -hmm. and you want the rep throw in the towel but then you realize no you got to stand up you know you got to take your lumps you got to take it and you got to keep moving forwards life sometimes hits hard but you can get up from it, but don't knock yourself out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Really stuck with me. And I think the responsibility as well, I was caring for my, like I said, Danielle at the time, uh, she would have died without me. So it's like that. My mum would have died without me. Uh, mm -hmm. My brother probably would have committed suicide himself if I did it, <laughs> you know? So it's like the pressure of the responsibility also was at that moment, a big weight on my shoulders that I felt mm -hmm. responsible 
people that my life's not my own, that I have to live for these other people, uh, which I don't have now. Now mm-hmm. I enjoy being able to care for people when I need to care for them, but I don't see it as uh, the weight on my shoulders, the responsibility. I see that being loving, being compassionate is what makes me feel good uh, and what makes me feel balanced and that I don't mm-hmm. have to feel the weight anymore on my shoulders of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's. Um, I feel that you described it incredibly well. And also, I mean, for me, it's just backtracking to what you were saying about what gave you that resilience, which was having a role model in your life and having influences and looking for those kind of almost behavioral mindset of what is a healthy mindset. So my interest is very, very much in communities and individuals who feel that tools or their actions have marginalized them or uh, limit, uh, limit their possibilities. So I have worked with various vulnerable adults, uh, including in prisons and um, psych- the psychiatric ward. And what you just said there, it's key to really shift mental attitude. It's, it's the sense that having a role model really does create a huge impact on the mindset of a person because you have that reference, that tangible reference. And when, and when you went into sport analogy, I feel that's the reason why we have a body. It's because the you know words are somatic. We we embody reality. We embody the emotions, and so when we play, we get to practice what the mind does on a tangible level. So, like you were saying, you don't knock yourself out. If you if you get knocked out, you just you know you get up and you train harder for the next round. And I feel that when we are stuck in our mind because there's no practicality, there's no action. We just get lost in the in these rabbit holes of possibilities, and it's almost like entering the matrix where anything is possible. But then your body becomes a vegetable because you're not doing, you're you're simply thinking. Yeah, and I, I found that uh, a big part of my life is I saw so many people that think so much and they do so much with their mind, and I really mm. noticed how little they would do with their body. Because for me, like I said, I was always looking for trying to understand the world, life, myself, others, just trying to understand everything. Uh, but my main quest was I didn't want to lose my mind. And I'm also told from everything I researched when I was younger that what my mom had, having schizophrenia and these things, oh, it can be genetic, like the children mm. can have it. And it's like, so I was led down that path from a young age that, oh, it's likely that I could lose my mind. And everyone that I spoke to once I got older about my mother, like her family and stuff, they sort of just said, oh, it just happened. It's random. You know, so I was thinking to myself, okay, so just randomly, one day I could just lose everything and, you know, be in that same state. <laughs> so that put a lot of fear in me for when I was younger, but motivated me to not drink alcohol, to not drip, take drugs. Anything that I saw changed your state of mind and your control mm. really influenced me. I was like, I want more control. I want the most control over my mind and actions because that's what my mum doesn't have. So I was mm. always so thirsty to look for that information. And I said, I looked at role models and I saw like these people with these bodies and this, they could use their body. And I was like, my mom can't use her body. So that was, I want to be able to make sure my body is healthy. But then I also researched, I would also look at everything to do with science. I was really passionate about just trying to understand things. So I would 
look at different science texts and work. And as I got older and YouTube existed and things like that, I was able to go online and listen. I would be forever listening to the latest science, uh, what you put them like the, the top uh, physics teacher, but I'd listen to lectures, you know, on biology, physics, the mind, whatever the latest information is. Yep. But I did notice that lots of these people had terrible bodies, terrible, what would look like <laughs> to me, bad health. And I was like, how can you be, have such a great mind, mm. but not understand that your body is valuable and that you should mm. take care of it or you're going to lose your mind. All this that you have, you're going to burn it out because you're not taking care of the physical structure. So I was also very aware of that. And that made me also listen, but with uh, without absolute uh, faith to them because I was like they must be missing something themselves mm. um, so that kept me open which was good because it stopped me from being say indoctrinated with the information of whoever was the best at whoever's said to be the best you know I could always yeah. listen and decipher for myself does that make sense yeah mm. are they understanding to look after themselves and look after others or are they going like you say down a rabbit hole of information and just just thinking and overthinking and for myself, after that suicidal thought in 2015, and I wanted to find some joy within, I was also trying to uh, disprove what the doctors told me of Danielle. They said she wouldn't live another five years and she would never walk again. And they said, I'm now, so for me, it's like, right, I'm her full-time carer until she has another cardiac arrest and dies. And I was like, that's not going to be a fun life. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do my best to try and find fun within myself. But also I'm going to do my best to see if I can do something about her health because I just, they said it's unknown. And I was like, I can't take unknown. There must mm. be something to understand here. Yeah. And again, having, I got into personal training and nutrition when I was younger. And none of these things were brought up by the doctors. They didn't talk about nutrition. Uh, they didn't talk about the, the body at all. It was just like, it's all unknown. And it led me on a path to go to different specialists, alternative care. And it's now over six years later, she's not only still alive, she's walking. You know, she can do a little jog as well. You know, and she, she was told she'd never get out of that chair and she'd be dead by now. But, and she's completely drug free. And this was through a path of changing lifestyle, changing food and nutrition and taking care of the physical body. The, for me, studying anatomy, knowing the structure in much more detail, uh, studying the energy work, meeting people that look at the body in so many different ways, but as a whole, and different people that look at the body as a whole, but a whole structure as part of the whole existence. And just sent me on a path of just um, humbleness to be open to know that there's so much you don't know <laughs> and so much to learn. That's so and, beautifully put, yeah. Yeah, and it was, um, it's just been a beautiful journey. And for me, it was a path of self-love for myself. I didn't realize that I didn't love myself. I didn't love my body. I didn't love my mind. And it was coming to a separation. I think you mentioned right at the beginning, like a witness. Uh, mm -hmm. It was coming to a process of realizing that to me, it seems I'm merely a witness of my existence. I'm not my body and I'm not my mind, but I witness the relationship of my mind and my body like a father and a mother. So I see the body as the mother and the mind as the father. And they used to be in a really bad relationship and the mind was like very abusive to the body. It demanded so much of it, it expected so much of it. And the body just wanted to do whatever the mind said and would cave in, but would be crying and screaming for just a cuddle, just some love, just some appreciation. But the mind was like, you only get appreciation once you do this, once you've completed this, once you've done this, once you look like this, once you get to this process, then I will be nice to you. Then you will feel good. And it was like, I realized this recycled thoughts going through my mind. 
that if I was to separate myself and be in a meditative state and be sitting there and the thoughts that I had recurring were a separate person that walked into the room, they would ruin my day. And I would want to kick them out because of what they're saying is not encouraging. It's not setting a nice tone. You know, it's not, not a nice experience. And once I realized this, I went for a process of changing them thoughts, reconstructing them thoughts, making that mind pleasant, making it loving and caring. So that I enjoyed the thoughts that come into surface. I appreciate them. And that was all like a path, path of self-love, which was changing thoughts, but also changing physical actions on the body and being loving and being nurturing to myself. And that took years and it had ups and downs and ups and downs. And yeah, it was a long process. And a bit like what you said at the beginning with you're struggling to get, you're in a neutral point with your past experience because um, it was so painful and so traumatic. It was like that for me for a long time. Lots of my experiences, I became neutral to them. I got to a point where they no longer felt painful to think about. I could think about them. I could analyze them, but I couldn't appreciate them. I didn't have gratitude for them. Whereas now I feel blessed to have the mother I had, to have the experience I have. I love mm. the fact that I walked across a bridge and nearly, drunk, <laughs> nearly jumped. You know, it's, it's beautiful that the, the mind and the body can come to that point and I can be talking about it now with joy, with love and sharing it because I've seen it impact people and give them a little insight into their life. It's helped me create my podcast, my YouTube channel. Um, but it's who I am. It's what I've got. So I just love mm -hmm. it unconditionally. There's no expectations on it. It doesn't have to continue what, happening it's just in the moment yeah absolutely it's really cool the way that um, let me rephrase that i uh, i find really refreshing hearing you because it's quite um that hmm, you have a really nice way of phrasing things and contextualizing information in a very clear and distilled way and it's also very polished from the kind of toxic positivity or other mainstream um, kind of behavioral mindsets uh, approaches. Yours is very obviously um, experiential led. It's, it's you seeking that led you to this point of self-realization rather than I studied this or I learned this, which gave me the perspective on X. And I feel that these type of messages or this type of experience it's it's very much needed especially on social media as there is too for me anyway and i'm curious to hear what you think there's almost too much uh, kind of positive mental attitude without the background or the knowledge in understanding what that actually entails and it's it's almost because i've been in the situation where i felt i don't have enough trauma to justify what I am doing. And it was almost myself leading into traumatic moments of putting myself in very vulnerable positions. So I could have these experiences and noticing how this concept that we often have that pain equals to our biggest insights or um, suffering is where we're going to find our our pearls it's almost this this is my perspective anyway it's almost this perverted concept of meeting oneself it's it's almost the intention is hey let me find the pain because that's where the beauty is rather than go hey what's what what do i want more in my life oh i want this like you said i want to feel healthy i want to do x y and z and that led you to the positive side of 
reflecting what the negative was in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I set the intention and stronger now than I did before because I didn't understand before or have a concept of how powerful the intention is. And Mm -hmm. at the position I'm in now, I think I am only intentions. I'm Mm -hmm. a witness who only has intentions and my intentions will help dictate the relationship of the mind and body. And when they're harmonized, the experience can become more harmonized. Um, So intentions to me are very important. And I set the intention that I want to continually grow in enjoyment and love Mm -hmm. and continually grow in action and physical ability. So I want to make sure that my body can have the sustainability and Mm. longevity and be able to actually have function. Otherwise, you could do things like if I just took coke and ecstasy, I would have loads of love and I would have loads of action, you know, but it's short lived. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So for me, it's like, okay, you can't do the, the, the quick route for short-term gain it's mm. it's it's worth playing the long game yeah. um and it's staying on that path of whatever gives me more joy but also being open to there's no expectations whereas mm. before i had so many expectations i thought i'd have children by now i thought i'd be like in a totally different position um mm. so and that caused me a lot of trauma a lot of mental abuse to myself to why aren't you here? Do you know, whereas I open myself up to more of a faith of life, that life will unfold unexpectedly, um, mm-hmm. but I'm going to continue to grow in compassion and love, enjoyment mm-hmm. and function, regardless of external environments or what's going to happen in my actual life. Yeah. I'm going to still grow in these areas. Um, and I set that intention for myself and remind myself of that. But then, then that leads to activities that I do to make sure, am I, have, I, have I remembered to do something for my body today? Have I moved it in a nice way? Or have mm-hmm. I just let it sit there and rot in a chair? Mm-hmm. You know, even if it means like lots of people do yoga now and they do all these things. Like you said, there's a lot of positivity online that people share and they do. And like I said, their intention is good. So that's nice. Um, but I've also seen so many people that are actually put off by this. Mm-hmm. That it's almost like they feel that it's false, it's fake, like you said, because there's no depth to it. It's like it's just uh, an Instagram world of yoga, you know, and live life, positivity breeds positivity. Mm -hmm. And it's like there's a half truth in that. But the reason I share and I like to talk to people and to share my experiences, I've seen that it helps to share your personal experiences. And everyone's Mm -hmm. trauma, everyone's personal experience is unique to them, like their fingerprint. And there is no good or bad. There's no value of comparison. Someone else's trauma of, say, their parents got divorced and this has been their biggest trauma in life, that's equal to my suicidal thought. No, there's no better or worse. That's their big event. That's what's going to give them a gift. And I do see that the most uh, traumatic experiences have a polarization in energy that they will offer the greatest gift. So the most biggest hardship we have if we haven't found the gift in it, it's waiting to be unwrapped. And if we spend time to delve into ourselves and our experience, that will offer something unique that we can look for and choose in my uh, perception. We can choose to take from that a gift because we can look at it with our own perception and, and look for how can that make me more loving and more compassionate. And once we find a way of using it for that and it becomes useful, it has worth, it has value, and we share it with others and we serve, then that in itself fulfills us in ways because we're using something that's personal. It's not something like you say, we've had to go to school for. It's not something we've had to be taught. We already have it. It's like life has taught us it. Did we pay attention to the lesson? The benefit of being a human is we have an imagination. So you can always go back and we have a memory. You can always go back and take from it. 
I shared with someone else the word mistake. I said, I don't make mistakes. I said, only I, if I've mistaken the opportunity given to me. Once I've seen what I can take from that opportunity, it's no longer a mistake. I've undone it because it was an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, even if yeah. it's small, it could be something like just falling over. You know, yeah. like uh, last month I broke my toe. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just, I just went for a little jog to run to my car to grab something quick because I was doing a podcast and my battery was going. And I slipped and caught my toe and I snapped my toe sideways. And I was like, oh, man, this is like, it's really inconvenient. I could be angry. I could be annoyed. <laughs> you know, this is going to set me back for a little bit. I can't, I do a gratitude walk every morning for like 45 minutes where I don't take a phone. I don't do anything, but just walk and appreciate what's around me and just make sure my mind isn't thinking about work or anything other than being in that moment. And I was like, no, I can't do my walk. You know, there's like, but I got to figure out how much, you know how much difference the toe is on the physical body to your balance because every movement I would do, no matter how subtle, I would feel it in my toe. So I was like, okay, this is really teaching me something. You know, this is teaching me. I've got to take care of myself. But even to the point of if if I was to massage my toes before I do some stretching, some Tai Chi, that's going to change my balance. So it gave me lots of insights and continually did. Mm-hmm. And I think it's looking at moments, looking at things that look like uh, problems or mistakes or difficulties and just looking with looking at them openly with an open heart with love as to their their lessons but making that as a choice some people get offended when you say our oh, life's a lessons and they get they put up a defense and it's like it's a choice you can choose to look at it that way you don't have to look at it that way i'm not saying it has to be this way but this is how i choose to look at it now and it makes me more joy it makes life more joy enjoyable and that's what yeah. i'm looking for so i, f- I feel that the reason why we are in a position that we see the joy in in events and we don't perceive them as positive or negatives just as it is a possibility to grow from or to embrace that's because the bottom line is that we both developed or whoever does this has developed a really strong relationship with a levels of intelligences that live within like you mentioned you had the relationship of the mother and the the father the the mind and the the body and i feel that each and every one of us has found a way to encapsulate this kind of observer the seer by almost dividing the roles that the the various organs in us accomplish so one of the things that i enjoy teaching is is um, the relationship that we have with our five main uh, intelligences. And I I like to call them the five eyes in short, because it's kind of suggests that we have more than one pair of eye to to observe an event. And in a way, it was kind of how you described it, that the body had a precedent on the mind or vice versa. And there's, there's almost this battle. And I feel that the really the key to really unlocking our ability to perceive things from a neutral perspective or or rather from a perspective that is so um, that we can almost put a pause button on our emotions and go, okay, I acknowledge what I'm feeling. However, if I'm feeling like this, maybe I'm missing a wider perspective because if I take the belief that I am an infinite being in a finite body, I should not be feeling like this. So let me just expand my senses. Let me just expand what is here and now. Let me just connect to the energy that I'm looking for. 
And then from that perspective, we get to play with the relationship that, we, that is within. So for me, I really play with the mind, with the breath, with our emotions, with the belly and with body. Because like you said, digestive, like the nutritional aspect of us plays a huge role in how, in our behavior and our ability to process information, especially if we lack sleep, we're missing some really vital um, vital steps to uh, to categorize and to almost like defrag the mind from excess information and being and playing with that and I think that's the best thing is just to be playful and to experiment so I went on a lot of different fasts to really connect with my body to really connect with my digestive system to understand what's the food that really enables me uh, to carry on and what's the food that kind of makes me sluggish and I can feel that as soon as I eat it my mind just goes numb and and foggy and then just noticing when I'm talking how's my breath acting am I going through like a and then excited or is it anxious what's happening because sometimes our mind can go into overdrive but then the body's super calm and so we kind of straight away realize wait hang on if my body is calm, why is my mind overreacting on this stuff? And then we kind of realize, you, you kind of talked about, there's, there's a beautiful book, um, and I'm sure you're going to love it. It's called, maybe you have read it. It's called Taming Your Gremlin um, by Rich Richard. I can't remember his surname now. Have you read the book or have no, you heard about it? No, I've not heard of it, no. It's, um, it's really playful. It doesn't feel as if you're reading a in-depth psychological or neuroscientific type of book it's it has illustrations and it's very again it's very playful because the mind requires that playfulness and the beauty like I feel that we live in this I'm kind of going off topic but at the same time I don't feel I am I feel that we live in a universe that is fractal. So everything that we do is just part of a whole. And when we pull out, we get to see that wholeness. And when we don't see the wholeness, we see the pain and we only see the happiness. We, we live in polarity. And when we have these events that push us, like you broke your toe, you could have been in that sense of pain, frustration, anger, or you could have seen the yes and option which is yes i'm feeling the pain and i'm noticing this other part which kind of start to encompass a wider perspective and a deeper connection to oneself and to the events that led to that moment and also to future moments and so i feel that in the same way our um, gremlin as as the book refers to which is this process of the mind purposely tripping us is there to push us to see beyond you kind of go like whoa like i actually have trained for this i am really comfortable with my training with my mindset with, with what i'm doing i know i'm you know it's it's constantly pushing us and i feel that if we it's it's so paradoxical but it's almost like the opposite of positive encouragement <laughs> it's like negative encouragements which forces us to see where our feet are actually grounded in it's we're not in our mind anymore in in order to get out of the mind we need to be embodied and that's the yeah. joke is the mind is pushing us out of the mind because 
is training us to acknowledge the skills that we have. So whenever we hear this voice, this the story of, hey, I'm 30, I should have two kids. It's like, hmm, okay, where did that one come from? Let me just feel in my body. Do I feel that? Do I feel that I have this urge, this need? No, okay, that's, that's a story. What is the story trying to help me achieve? Oh, wow, maybe I am trying to achieve a narrative that's totally different. But this narrative would never have come out if I wouldn't have this voice constantly pushing and projecting something that I don't want to see. And yeah. so, like you said, it just pushed you to go like, hey, actually, let me figure out a bit more about nutrition, about how to really train my mind. And let me, you know, the doctors are telling me this, but this doesn't resonate with me. So let me figure out something else. And I think this is the paradoxical beauty of being a human. It's, it's painful and beautiful at the same time. It's the more resistant we are to seeing the wider perspective the more painful the transformational change is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, and I find with the, with the mind, like I said, similar, my thoughts were like that, what it sounds like uh, you were saying with the gremlin, is mm. my mind was, it was like it was trying to teach my body uh, and teach me, say, to progress, but it was trying to teach me with a whip. Yes. You know? um, whereas now it's trying to pull me with a carrot, you know, it's trying to encourage me. It's, I had to rewire its attitude realizing that the attitude that my mind carried had say good intentions uh long term but not in the moment mm-hmm. uh, and like i said very much like a relationship you can have uh, two parents and the father pushes the mother and does all this and you can see oh that's because they are trying to look at the long-term idea but you, at the same time a child can see that the mother just needs to be have a hug and a kiss mm-hmm. you know and say like no i appreciate you i love you let's do this, let's do that. And it's said in a different tone and the whole relationship and dynamic changes. And that's why I saw with me, the mind was that way, but it was doing it with a horrible attitude. It was doing it with a horrible voice. And I feel I see a lot of people that their minds are like that. They've become a condition to this abusive mindset. And this is just human existence, a way mm-hmm. to be. Um, and the body starts to crumble and eventually it screams and cries because it can't take it anymore. And it will have episodes where it, you know, it just doesn't want to get out of bed it can't sleep. It's it's getting pain in the body in different places it never had before. Yeah, things will start to, to happen to the physical body. Yeah, yeah. Just on that, it's again, it's that feedback. So th- again, for me, the body is an interesting vessel, as I had a few injuries, one that um, I'm still recovering from. And just a little backstory: I used to play as an athlete on a semi-professional level. And the my one of my goals was to be one of the um, under twenty four uh, rugby players in the Six Nations, and mm-hmm. I had an injury that you know broke my ankle, two surgeries, and um, during the time where I couldn't move, going from this kind of aspect of hey I can run to let out my emotions, it was like okay what can I do now to healthily let out my emotions and it's this beautiful again it's just how we perceive things it's this that was the beautiful moment where I expected to fall into a really deep depression and there was almost this resilience in me that just switched and I had no idea where it came from but it was like no there's another way and and then that's when I, I started to question the identity of myself as the body like you were saying you you become 
you realize that you're not your thoughts, you're not your mind, you're not your eyes, you're not, you just see the many layers of yourself. And um, that led me down the path of meditation and all of these other aspects of amplifying the senses. So I feel that even if we don't move, for people who are paraplegic or for people who are, have just got injured or whatever they ask the, the, the positioning is for them, there's always an opportunity to gain feedback from our sensory body, whether it is through intuition or through physical uh, reactions. And for me recently has been my spine. And I think it was six months ago, no, nine months ago, I ended up being paralyzed. I just fell to the floor and I was paralyzed for a good hour and I couldn't move. And I was in so much pain. And I was, as I was there, you know, the initial anger, frustration going like WTF, like I practice yoga every day. I'm very flexible. I, I eat healthily. All of these kind of gremlin thoughts come in. And then I said, okay, just let me be patient. Let me ask my body what it needs and why it's, it's in pain. Because the body has been here like way, way before our cognitive mind. So it, it knows by instinct what it's healthy, what's not healthy. And the mind just tends to get into a way of rationalizing things and kind of using social dogma to say, be this or be that. And what I realized was that I was projecting a vision of myself that I wasn't. And so I was becoming stiff. I was stiffening my spine because I was trying to project this identity because I wanted to almost break the rule of, of, certain, uh, of a certain mindset, of a certain people. And I wanted to show there's an alternative way of doing it. However, even though I had the mindset, I didn't really embody that, um, that reality. And so I was approaching it rather than from a space of calmness from, hey, this is just my reality. It was like, no, this is what we can do. Like very almost forceful my body stiffened up to the point where it just seized up. And that was the reflection for me of, huh, I really need to be honest with myself and I really need to be authentic at recognizing where I want to go with what, so basically what's the vision, what's the vision that I want to embody more, what's the energy that I want to have more in my life, opposed to what do I have now and to acknowledge why I have that allows me then to pursue those events and those uh, energies that will support me moving forward to the vision of where I want to be more in. And literally by doing that, my body started to, I felt the muscles in my body decontract and suddenly movement started to appear. And then the body said, hey, I just want to sing. And so I felt for the first time in years, this desire to just make sound. And noticing mm, how interesting it is, yeah. I mean, yoga uses a lot, like the um, the vibrational parts, um, like Brahma breath, where you kind of close your senses. So you put your hands, you use your hands to close all your senses or to diminish your senses by uh, closing your ears, uh, uh, forcing your eyes shut, and to reduce and to constrict the breathing from your nose and to close your lips to really focus within and go really within and using this kind of B sound like, 
to provoke this vibrational effect in in our hollow bones, which then just shake your entire being. And because the emotions live in our body, by shaking our being, we get to play with the movement of of, of emotions. So whenever an emotion is stuck, it starts to vibrate, move out of the body and we can sense it. And then we can channel the mind like an anchor into like a beam spot into that place and go, huh, okay, let me unpack that emotion. Let me give it space to express itself, whether it is anger, whether it is grief. It's important for me to acknowledge it and to hear it so I can connect to its need. So I can provide for myself. Like you were saying, you learn how to provide and to give love for yourself. And this whole journey is about a journey of self-acceptance and love. And this connection with the breath, adding the vibrational part with it, was just another, just like, Jesus, how resourceful is our body? Like, our, like you know, you take away one thing and the body is just saying, hey, here's another tool that you can use. And it's just like, wow. Like, imagine yeah. we can teach this to kids at age three. Like, hey, are you sad? How about you just do like some shaking and you do some hum- like humming and see what happens? Where do you feel that emotion? Oh, you feel it in your chest? What does that mean for you? Oh, it means this? Okay, cool. Let's just play with it and just make like instill that kind of sandbox environment for the kid. So when he grows up and there's like any problems, like, oh, let me go in my sandbox mode where I can just play with what's happening. I'm not going to take it seriously. I'm just going to see from how many different dimensions I can look at it and exponentially grow so I can then feed back what I just learned to somebody else. And we can exponentially grow as a collective rather than individual i mean jesus that's just like fantastic if we can do that on a global yeah. scale yeah and i think we're in that process now with just mm. the fact that we're able to connect so easily with each other in such a quick means like say i'm talking to you in a different country uh people can listen from different places we can all share these experiences and that can make things just grow at an unbelievable rate um that's why i love doing what i'm doing to be able to share and connect in this way with people and people to, like you said, make it's just sometimes a perception shift is all that's needed. And that can just be sparked with a little inspiration of just a new thought that you've never had before. Exactly. And um, like I said, sharing people's unique experiences has to give unique thoughts because unless you've had the experience, you won't have had the identical thought. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it could just break a pattern for someone. And I think that can give a big shift. You know, someone might be listening to this and be like, do you know what? I'm going to try some breath work. I'm going to look a little bit more into that. And all they have to do these days is go on Google, YouTube and type in breath work and find what resonates with them and try it out. Whereas only 10, 20 years ago, you know, you wouldn't even be able to find this information to practice. You'd have to look for a specialist in a remote area and be recommended by someone to get there. And Things are so vastly available now. A lot of people see it as a, a big pain, but it's also a big gift. Like we were saying again, with the pain and the gifts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, it's, it's essentially, yes. And, this is the most, I mean, I feel like it's insanely exciting to be living in this moment of time because there's so much possibility or within possibility, like the variables just keep evolving so quickly. And it's just really fun to see that happen. And like you say, this this level of interconnection, this 
just happening at such a faster rate, meaning that the uniqueness in people's experiences is so much more greater because yes, we're exposed to pretty much similar information. You see a, a video of cats, but your mindset, the way that you view it is from a completely different perspective because you live in a different country, a different culture, a different uh, environment that led you to see that and to see the gifts in, in whatever you're observing. And the, uh, the most fun part is what you're saying is when we share these things, we, we allow people to start questioning or we, I don't know, it's, how can I explain this? Um, well, I would put it as like what we were saying earlier with the body already has within it a vast mm. intelligence. Um, some people could call it, say, subconscious, whatever you call it. There's a process and intelligence within the body that I see that mm. can turn a piece of food into flesh. You know, it can it can sort out what needs to be in the blood and what doesn't need. Whereas if I was to try and think for myself uh, what heartbeat rate I need to maintain to walk up a flight of stairs, what I need now to bring it down to to sit, where should it be to eat? how do i get these vitamins minerals out of this piece of food i i, I can't think of, i couldn't i don't know where to start you know yet mm -hmm. my body is doing it mm -hmm. my intelligence within is doing processes while i'm thinking about some whatever it is like you say maybe watching a video of cats you know while it's doing that it's doing all these other crazy things that we couldn't even conceive of nor can any technology that exists do these processes so the intelligence within is so vast and so beyond our own uh, ability to understand that we sort of just have to appreciate and have faith in it that okay it's got a, a wealth of intelligence within it so if I open up to allow myself my inner self and my body to actually just uh, relax a little and open up like you, you don't know what's going to happen from it and the most basic process is like breath work I do a lot of breath work because I've noticed incredible uh, benefits from doing from subtle breath work to intense breath work, like real benefits in, again, finding balance, finding more joy, mm. especially dealing with uh, traumatic events in my, in my life when something really bad has happened. There's mm. breath works that I've learned that bring me right back into the moment. So I'm more productive, more active, and also not in a depressive state, not feeling the pain of the, the, the environment I'm in. Mm -hmm. And it can happen within a minute of just certain breath work can change your whole state of being. Um, and I've done this with other people that I've met. I've met people that are in a really bad mental state, really strong anxiety. Um, and like you can see it in their physical body. They might just start crying and they're really stressed out, wide-eyed. You know, and you do five minutes of breath work with them. And they're completely calm. They, mm. uh, movement as well. Again, I, don't, I think sometimes when people are too stagnant, it, the body needs to be flowing a bit like a dance. It needs to just have a subtle movement. But then a controlled breath, and like you said earlier, especially from the belly, certain tones, certain vibrations, and it can change their whole outlook in that moment. Um, but depending on how they're programmed and what thoughts are circulating, I've noticed how quickly certain things come back. Some people can feel great instantly after, and within 10 minutes, they're back to where they was. Hmm. But sometimes you catch them, they're on their phone reading some information that makes them uncomfortable. You know, and they're suddenly going and they're having all these uh, this stress and anxiety and they're sitting there all crouched over with their body in a horrible posture. They're nerve compressed and they're reading information that's given them fear and anxiety. And they're back in the state they was before the breath work. <laughs> so I think a lot of it, it's this breath work and movement and taking care of your body is important, but it's got to be consistent and it's got to be done with love. Um, but repeat, repeat it, it's not something that's a one-off miracle. 
you know, in that moment, it will feel like a miracle if you do it correctly because you'll feel great. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to sustain it, like I said, for me, it's doing regular breath work and not doing it for an hour every day. You know, sometimes it might be just doing a minute and then doing a minute a bit later, five minutes a bit later, you know, a few minutes before bed, but consistently doing it. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. found that to be a, a huge benefit to life. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's essentially where the more we give attention to something that we desire, the more time we find to do it. And therefore it supports that lifestyle for us. And it's, um, I kind of, kind of remembered what I was going with, what I was trying to say before, which ties into what we're saying now, is the sense that with all of these options, uh, it can get overwhelming, yes. And at the same time, it can be a great path to access very quickly information. The difference is knowing what we're seeking or what we're looking for. When we don't know, we tend to just walk around and we kind of like a, just bumping into things, trying to figure out if, if this is the right thing for us. So we, we almost, is, is a, my analogy is we have this huge fishing net and we keep catching things that we don't really care or want and they kind of start to weigh us down. And so yeah. we kind of going back to the fishing net going, no, it's not this, it's not that. But sometimes we pick up the things that we're looking for. And because there isn't that awareness, there isn't that groundedness yet, we kind of toss away what is the thing that we're trying to seek. And, and the process is, like you're saying, it's this constant repetition of refining. It's this dedication to something that we are passionate about or that we want to see more in our lives. And so you yeah. think about breath is like hey i'm not going to be a, a, a great practitioner if i practice a minute once and that's it or an hour once and that's it it's you know what what takes me to become uh stiff in my body oh about 12 hours a day sitting down cool so <laughs> what what am i prepared to do to do the exact opposite and to help my body my mind and my being my soul to, to carry the vision that I have and to support that. And so my biggest question for you right now is like, what, what is your biggest vision? What's your dream? Where, where do you want to go right now? Oh, okay. I have one, one thing I wanted to bring you up on as well. So I'll get back to that after my vision. Um, cool. So for me, it's all about how can I, I from a young age, because I, I suffered a, a lot, I also then was able to witness suffering everywhere that I looked. So I saw suffering in animals, suffering in humans, and very quickly saw what to me was unnecessary suffering, unnecessary pain, things that could, you know, I could see just for the small example of like, I could see my friends having a bad relationship with say their mother. And to me, because I couldn't have a relationship with my mother, I would really witness that they're talking to their mother with a really bad attitude and angry, you know, and I'm like, oh, she's making you dinner. That's amazing. I don't get dinner made for me. Why are you complaining about that? It's not what you want or, you know, subtle things like that. And I'd be like, but I could see how upset the mother was that she wasn't able to please the son. And I would see all these relationship issues. So I was really passionate. I was like, like I can just see it. And I, then I would witness like animal cruelty. And it's like, it's so unnecessary in so many ways, but people don't seem to see what they're doing. Um, so for me, it was always like, how can I make a difference to the world? How can I change things? How can I 
eliminate this suffering because at the time it was just made my suffering worse it was just selfish you know i was like i don't want to suffer and keep seeing more suffering so i want to eradicate as much suffering as i can and again it really just to feel balanced within then as i grew and i got older this became a suffering to witness suffering and like it felt like a burden it's like i wish i couldn't see the suffering because now it's ruining my life because everywhere I look, it's a problem. Analogy I used for someone is like, you can go to a beautiful location, like a beautiful lake and someone has left all their rubbish and you can see that like animals will get hurt by it. It's unnecessary. It makes a place look dirty and that could steal all your focus and ruin your day. Yet the majority of what's around you is an abundance of beauty, a beautiful lake, a luscious trees, everything's around you that's amazing and you're concentrating on the pile of rubbish. And it's ruined your day, yet it's still insignificant to the abundance of beauty. So that perception changed for me that, yes, there's loads of suffering in the world, but there's actually more abundance of life and love and joy. There's more abundance of actual good functioning energy, say. Um, so that took that stress off, but I still want to be active to contribute. So for me, it's how can I contribute the most while still being on a path of finding more enjoyment, more love and more physical uh, abilities so for me it's how can i do that and share and part of that was creating a youtube channel creating the podcast and looking for ways i can share that information online i would love to set up a retreat where i can bring people to actually have deeper conversations uh bring in people that do alternative uh, care work you know because i've noticed incredible different uh things that have helped heal danielle heal myself that so many are completely unaware of it's like how can i bring that into people's lives so for me, it's contributing the most. And a, another big passion of mine is storytelling. I like to, me and my brother, we write scripts together and we want to make actual feature length movies. And that's a big part of what I want to do. I want to, because I see the reverse engineering, say, of propaganda, of information and how impactful a story can be. So if you've got stories out there that can impact people in the right way, sometimes just watching a movie can change someone's life. We all have movies we've watched in our childhood that have really helped shift our perception. You know, or giving us some hope, giving us a drive, giving us a role model even in, in terms of the action star or the hero in the movie. It's become these celebrities that we idolize, you know. And so it's like, okay, if these people are able to express more compassion, more love and joy, if that story is able to be shown in that light, that interests me. How can you show these obstacles? How can you show uh, mental health awareness, body health awareness? And it's like, okay, you might be able to bring that up in film. So for me, that's a passion. And But my overall passion is to just make that influence as grand as possible and to do it in the biggest possible way, uh, to contribute in the biggest possible way. And I find using my own experiences and connecting and sharing with others. As to how it will unfold, I can't predict, nor do I have any expecta expectation on it. If none of it happens, it doesn't happen, but I'm still going to keep going even to my last days. Like I don't see a retirement point. I only see when I'm 65, I'm going to be more active and contributing more with more experience. Even if I'm less abled in my physical body, you know, I don't see, I don't have an age barrier. I don't have a life barrier. And if I die on the way, then I die on the way. I don't care. You know, I'm not going to look for it. I'm not going to choose it, but it could happen. And if it happens, it happens, but I'm not going to let that stop my flow. And where I wanted to ask you on, bring you up and saying, because you were saying with the paralyzed things, one really big thing that changed my journey, changed Danielle's journey, is contribute, contributing factors were so many. But a huge part of that was chiropractic care. And um, have you ever seen a chiropractor? I mean, yes, but uh, not in recent years. 
like I said, I found chiropractic care was something I was completely unaware of. Uh, and each one is different. It's like finding a mechanic for your car. And sometimes you can have a, an experience which isn't great. And then it makes you think all mechanics are no good. You know, uh, I've seen over 20 different ones and they're all very, very different. But the main concept that the central nervous system, and it's not the spine, the spine encases the central nervous system, the brain stem, which is part of the brain, if not the most crucial part that I find is the least uh, looked at. The brain is so heavily looked at as a solo, say, object. Yet the stem is what starts life and everything, like you said, with the stem cell, everything stems off the spinal cord, including the brain, all the organs. But that spinal cord is protected by the, the, the actual bone of the spine. And like the ribs, it's protecting something so important. And you can damage an area of the spine and it can change a complete function of an organ, a body, how it's the connection is going between the, the brain and the cells that in your leg or in your liver. And interesting, when you were younger, you fell, like you said, at nine and tried to snap your neck. And whether you have some sort of... Uh, injury there a misalignment whether them things are there but i found going to a chiropractor but not just once i had to go many times uh, regular appointments found i found unbelievable change especially once i got to an emotional state where i was emotionally open i found the emotional openness helped the the actual sessions i saw with danielle this is what got her legs were walking she was paralyzed and it wasn't until a few adjustments it was the first time i saw any results in her physical body so I was very interested when you said with being paralyzed and there, whether you've had your spine and your nerves looked at in that way. I haven't, but recently I've been thinking of connecting because part of my uh, injury from American football when I broke my ankle was that for a year I was walking around without ligaments, which completely distorted my pelvic axis. Um, yeah. Dislocated, not dislocated, but um, it was a pretty like a good one inch... Um, this livello, uh, unevenness in my jaw. So one side of my jaw was closing an inch sooner than the other, and also mm. cranium, cranium uh, misalignment. So I've, I've worked a lot through yogic practice to realign that. And I'm at the stage where I kind of feel I want to go to the next level. And so I want to tap into the resources and the knowledge of, of, a, you know, of somebody that has really extensive knowledge in, in this area. So, yes, I've been thinking of going and connecting with the chiropractor or physiotherapist. So thank you for feedbacking with that. So, yeah. Yeah, because there's physiotherapists, chiropractors, and osteopaths, and I've tried all of them. The, yeah. phys the physiotherapist will help to balance a muscle structure, but if they're not changing the spinal, uh, the actual spinal positions, the problem just seems to always come back. The osteopath will look at the the, the spine and the the muscle structure as a whole. They're they're really good. Uh, but only I've only found the chiropractors have a, a real ability to go into the deeper levels of the nervous system and the structure. But again, it is dependent on the chiropractor and it is an art form which is um, has been watered down a lot over the years, should I say. Yeah, so it's been lockdown, COVID. This sort of thing has been going on for nearly two years, as many thought it would be two weeks. And um, so many people are experiencing it in so many different ways, but some still with a lot of struggles in their life. What process has it been for you in your self, inner self-development, as well as your external developments? And 
what could you offer to others that are, are struggling with this? What's, what's helped you personally that may aid someone else in their struggles? To give a very concise, concise answer, it would be observing the, what's here to support me and the choices I have at every given moment to step away, to actually acknowledge the fear and ask what is this fear trying to protect me from and what engaging to what point is this fear moving from protecting to stifling and so when a lockdown came my experiences are pretty different from the majority of people as I um, the first lockdown I I was meant to go to Portugal for an internship in permaculture I think and I just, I just panicked. I just felt about it was around December and I just got really scared at the idea of traveling and just, which is very unusual as I've been, I, as I had been a nomad for a good year, just traveling and connecting with loads of people across the UK. And so I thought that I needed to, to stay still. And so my reflection upon that is to connect to your intuition, to expand your senses and this very simple exercise that we talked about breath work and movement and all of any element that helps to be, to retain the ability to be present where, I mean, the mind cannot, the mind can exist in the future, but the body can't. So anything that we can do that enables a cohesive existence of mind and body in the present moment really enables us to participate uh, in what is happening around us and inside of us, which then allows mm-hmm. us to connect at a much more deeper level with our senses, both physical and metaphysical, which then kind of allows us to hear, perceive, taste, see, and sense other information that are cannot be perceived by the rational mind. So that's the first one. And by using intuition, we can really start seeing options that are way beyond our mental capacity or even our cognitive uh, behavioral mindset. Um, I remember watching a video, a really fun video of, hey, how do you connect, you know, you're single, how do you go on a date during lockdown? And this guy in New York just saw a girl on the other side of the, um, of the street and so he uses drone to send a message to us saying, hey, this is my phone number. Do you want to connect? They went on Zoom and started to have like like virtual Zoom. like Virtual uh, date. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, okay, but I really want to connect with this person. And so he went on Amazon and found an inflatable bubble, uh, like an inflatable ball where he could put himself in. And so she was able to walk out with a mask and he just went in the bubble and they were able to connect <laughs> and have it conversation and so to me that just shows hey we always have a choice and that choice happens when we step away from fear and we choose what we want to do with ourselves in this moment with the capabilities that we have and that's when we pay attention to the things that are supporting us like you said you when you because of the experiences that you have with your mother, you were able to see the polarity between a child being grumpy because he's not receiving the food that he or she wants. And also you could see the pain from the mother not being able to satisfy and to care for her child. 
And when we start to see that, we then can look at our own environment and go, wow, yeah, there's COVID, but I actually do have running water. I, have, I do have food. I have friends. And we start to see, you know, you talked about the gratitude walk. And for me, it's that. It's just to pay attention to what we have and to sit with it. And the more we sit with it, it just is like the bank account that just has insane interest rates. The more it grows. And the more it grows, the more filled we feel. And by feeling that, we feel less fearful in taking a step that is not uh, in alignment with what everybody else is doing. Yeah, and it's uh, very much that, like you're saying, it's, it can be a, a struggle in, the, in certain points of growth, a bit like growing pains in your physical body. Um, yeah. But sometimes you look back and you see a child, like, and they go through that growth spurt, and it's like, oh, when did that happen they've suddenly over one summer looked like a teenager you know they've had a big growth <laughs> but but during that time they might have had a bit of pain or the parents might not have noticed it even happening and it's like that for yourself sometimes you can be growing so fast and there's so much like what looks like chaos happening and anxiety or stress and discomforts but then suddenly you reflect months or a year later or many years later and you can't believe where you are and how much development's actually happened and then that appreciating gratitude that you've been putting in you see it pays off and it just becomes a natural habit for me. It's it's like you need to put it as a routine, as your development tools, as what I've seen. It's certain things need to be put in as a routine, like going and exercising, like you need to put in these uh, self-love practices, put in these gratitude practices and sort of reprogram yourself. But then it just becomes a habit. You notice if you've not done it because you notice your feelings change or you just want to do it because you notice how good it feels. Yeah. I find so many things I do now are like habits. I don't have to push myself at all to do them. They're, they're habits, you know? Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And and just to go ahead, just to connect with a, a different audience almost where, you know, I, I've worked with a good background of people and what we're saying with, with some people just is is not possible at that moment it's it's a reality that is not attainable uh, it could be a, a single mum or a single dad um, in a council house with three kids and it's it's just really really tough to find the time it's it's small space there's there's a lot of pressure and so for anybody that that feels in that moment i go wow i actually don't have the mental freedom uh, to do these things is to figure out what can be done in that moment and obviously you go well obviously i've been trying to do that i'm not stupid it's and it's uh, the most effective part that i have found is to really acknowledge the emotions that you're feeling and when we start to acknowledge the emotions that we're feeling we can put them on paper and then we can step away and it's almost this moment it's like you said it's it's an exercise that then becomes just part of your routine. It's just something that you do. So whatever emotions you have, you put on paper, you step away, you reflect, you breathe, you take that moment literally to breathe through whatever's happening. And then you can approach it from fresh eyes because it's there, you can see it. So it's almost to timestamp the moment of friction, to leave it, to become neutral and to approach it from a neutral perspective um and to go okay so i know this is a pattern of mine i know this is this is my pain point 
okay, I'm lost. My mind is lost. Okay, cool. You step away. And it's this constant moment. Uh, it's kind of like the waves against a rock. It's this constant motion of the ebb of flow, the pressure that goes onto a rock that slightly diminishes its um, uh, spigoli. What's spigoli? Um, <laughs> its pointiness is to make it smooth. Yeah. And I feel this, this is the most... This is the gift that we have is the ability to put on pause the thing that troubles us the most and to record them, like you mentioned before, to record them in a video format, in an audio format, as a picture, whatever it is, just to record them, to step away, to breathe and to reapproach it until we start to gain clarity. And I find for those, like you say, there's lots of people that say, I've heard it from many people through many different things in my life where you try to share something with someone, even if it's just to tell them to go for a walk or something um, or to watch what they eat. And it's like, you can see the defense come up that they haven't got time because they're in such a stress and you can see that suffering and that stress. So you try mm -hmm. to offer something and it gets instantly refused because of the stress. Mm -hmm. uh, so if anyone's listening, they're looking what to do. For me, it was put in the, the routine into things I already had in routine. Like we all have to wash, we all have to clean ourselves. So I would set the intention that when I'm going to have my shower, when I'm going to clean myself, that I'm doing that like the, the sort of analogy I use is like, you know, you get them, uh, you see in like an American show or something, like a middle-aged man who's got his classic car that's in the garage that he polishes every day but doesn't drive. Yeah, but he does it with such love and passion because he absolutely loves his car so much so no one's allowed to touch it and even he doesn't get to drive it. And I was like, so when I have a shower, I'm going to wash myself with that same intent that I'm not going to rush and scratch myself. I'm going to make sure like I'm really enjoying polishing my body, cleaning it, you know, keeping it fresh and because I have to wash. So when I do it, I'll make sure I wash with love, wash with that intention. And it's like when you brush your teeth, doing the same. And when you wake up in the morning, just trying to put and at the beginning for me, it had to be forced to put a smile on my face and lay there and just think, it's beautiful that I have soft covers and I'm laying here in a bed. You know, mm -hmm. I've spent time in my life where I didn't have a bed, you know, I'm laying there in a dirty bed or I'm laying on the floor. So it's like, right, I've now got a mattress. I've got clean covers that have been washed and just smile about that. And the same at nighttime. It's like you're laying in bed, you're going to go to sleep. Yeah, and even if you don't sleep, you're laying in a cozy bed, enjoy it. Maybe you'll have some interesting thoughts if you can't sleep. So mm -hmm. it's just, and smile. And then it become a habit that, um, I end up just laying down with a smile and you mm -hmm. start your day with a smile, you sleep with a smile, you wash with a smile. And, like said, and then suddenly it's easier. Suddenly time frees up. It's like you have more time and the other practices you can start to put in. Um, and I found that changing my, just adding love to my already routine structures that I have to do. So if you have to go drop your kids to school, are you rushing and you're panicked and you're full of anxiety and pressure because you've got to do this? But well, you're just so happy you can drop your kid to school and you can do it with a smile and give your child a smile. And I found just changing them little moments seems to like a snowball effect. Just build mm -hmm. it and suddenly time does sort of free up that you have more, what appears to be more time. Whereas I see it seems you, you gain more functionable energy when you're not anxious and full of anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, the, the point, the bottom line is, is, is training. The, the harder it is, it means that we just it's almost like atrophy uh, it's mental atrophy towards a, a behavior and like you mentioned initially it's if we don't have those role models if we don't have those forms of uh, in like positive influences not the 
hey, look at my life. I'm such an amazing yoga teacher living in the Caribbean. It's like, that's so unobtainable. That's so removed from the day-to-day life of so many people. It's to find somebody around you that, like you say, has the ability to smile despite whatever is happening. Um, that really, really does help a lot because uh, it builds that resilience. It builds that confidentiality within oneself. And once we, the bottom line is this, whether we're trying to, you know, grow ourselves or grow a business, what is going to allow us to succeed is the strong belief in, in what we're creating. And to gain that belief, there needs to be trust. And in order to have trust, there needs to be a sense of stability. And so this is where the anchor points need to really come in. It's what are those non-negotiable things that nobody can freaking touch? Okay, now I know. I can put this in my cupboard. I don't have to look about it. I just know. And then we can start observing, what, like you say, like what can I do that is small that might just open a new window? It could be like, hey, let me just have breakfast. Let me just figure out where the light is shining in my room and have breakfast facing the sun. Simple things like that. Or it could yeah, be, just changing, changing the environment subtly like, can be a big difference. <laughs> precisely. And like you were saying, once you start to appreciate, you start to project, rather project, you start to bathe into that emotion. And because we are beings that can, like through osmosis, we feel like the, the morphic field, we feel what other people are feeling, even though they're not expressing it. So when we can take that shower like you were mentioning and just appreciate our own body and they take personal time we step away from that shower and there's that sense of calmness or love and compassion that then other people might feel and because these people around us might not be trained in experiencing that because they haven't named it or they haven't experienced it in themselves it's going to take some time for them to understand the change that is happening so again, it's that sense of repetition, patience with oneself that then builds that resilience to launch us into the environment of, wow, I actually changed my life. This is fantastic. How the fuck did I do this? I don't know, but it worked. <laughs> yeah, and it starts, it, like you say, it just grows and grows. And a, a big part for me, and I noticed in other people and I noticed in myself is when you go through a certain stage of trying these sort of things, uh, you see the judgment on yourself arise, how much uh, thoughts are on other people and what you're doing. Like, mm. for me, it used to feel so uncomfortable to walk with a smile. And I've asked other people, I said, like, just go on a 20-minute walk and see how long you can maintain a mild smile. And I said, it should just look that if someone looked at you, they should go, oh, that's a happy person. They're having a good day. I said, you should look like that. I said, see if you can hold that like you're acting like an actor you're walking on a walk and if anyone looks at you it should look like you're having a good day what does that look like head up chest up and a smile and then you see so many people or you see within yourself you go yeah but they might be thinking what what have I got to smile about why am I so special and these thoughts arise of these judgments that you know it's you're even not good enough or you don't deserve it or you're not worth it and it's really interesting to to go through that process. And I think many will, as they try these things, they go through a process of realizing how the restrictions and judgments that they've actually put on themselves that they feel unworthy of something or that they're not good enough to just mm-hmm. smile and enjoy life. Yeah. And, and just to add on what you said is to recognize that voice and to give it a funny name. Like in, in the book, they call it the gremlin. And yeah. I just like to use this because it's, I find it really funny. 
um, you know, other people call it the monkey mind, whatever we want to call it, to so go, oh, that tape is going, hmm, okay. I find naming things makes a huge difference. It's a technique that I use um, with my partner, Danielle, because like she's had really bad sort of bug phobia with different bugs, you mm-hmm. know? And I was like, well, give it a name and would like name it. And suddenly the fear's all gone just because it's mm. got a name. It's like, oh, that each type of insect's got a different name. Suddenly it's like welcome. It's like, oh, look, this has turned up today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like you said, giving, your, giving them yourself, your thoughts, names, like you said, can break down the, the character because it it's like, gives it some sort of representation Yes, and it also, it does give us a representation, so our mind is much more focused. It's not a passive action of observing, it's an active action of uh, witnessing. And so we, by doing that, we shed light upon it. It's not in the shadows, it's not contaging us, it's not pushing us, it's, oh, it's that, it's here. Let me pay attention to it, let me understand what form, what shape, how it's trying to communicate to me. And more importantly, if I strip away all the words, all the text, what's the feeling that it's trying to show me? Where's it trying to push me to? Like, like we said at the beginning, it's, or it's, it's not positive affirmation. This is negative uh, affirmation showing you the opposite of what you can be. And so it helps us to see to dig deep into ourselves and to bring that resilience of going, this is the message that I want to show. And it is literally just to do with training. It's that constant repetition of, okay, I recognize this thought is coming. I'm going to give it a name and I'm going to make it playful because as soon as we make things playful, we don't take them seriously. And there's more room for even the body to move. And we start to witness how things proceed that then allow possibilities to enter. Yeah. yeah. And I found um, with some people as well, someone I was talking to, they were like, they felt really lost. And mm. it was like, they just don't know what, then they was in their fifties and they're like, they don't know what to do with the rest of their life. Like they just feel like they're just sort of plodding along and they're just, just unsure. They're like, but they told me loads of things that they don't like, you know, they've mm. gone through all this. And I said, well, you really know what you don't like. So don't do any of them. And I said, but enjoy whatever it is you're doing. It's okay to not know exactly what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And it was like, they felt so much pressure that they should know already everything because of their age. And it's like, you just let yourself off the hook a little bit, let yourself relax a little bit and notice that you, you seem to know exactly what you don't want to be at least. And that's good. <laughs> you know, you know what not to contribute, you know, what's bad, you know, and they were a really compassionate person, a really loving person, a real genuine person. I said, and I was just trying to give them that appreciation, but they was almost too humble to uh, acknowledge it in themselves. Like it made them uncomfortable to appreciate themselves for just having a nice attitude and being a nice person. It's like, yeah. it's not enough. And they, yeah. they were career developed. They had accomplished loads of awards in their career and, and they'd actually like had a real big path in their life, but were still feeling not good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really mean- interesting. I feel a lot of people, including myself, can resonate with that as it's um, and that's really how my journey started to to be where I am now. It's I had no idea what I wanted, why I knew exactly what I didn't want. So I started the process of removing the things I didn't want and just sitting, metaphorically speaking, in an empty room and just observing. Why is it that I really where? What is it that I am called to? 
and just noticing where my body would take me. I was like, wow, okay, I'm, I'm drawn to this. I'm drawn to that. And then I'm like, is this, and then again, naming it, is it, is this the thing that I'm really interested? Mm, not quite, but I'm in the general area. So then we can start to focus on these things. And it, again, not to sound repetitive, but it is really a question of repetition and training. It's to observe, to breathe, to slow down, to be in the present moment, rather than being in the mind, which takes us into the present, the past, the future, all different dimensions. It's just to be here. Yeah, and we're on a continual path, yeah. path of growth and expansion, whether that's in the mind or body, but hopefully in both and in unity of the mind and body. Mm. Um, but it's not an age issue. Like you can always grow, you can always learn. I met one guy, he was 85 years old and we had some long talks and we went through some things and he sort of refound his life. And he goes, oh, I, he goes, you know, I like waking with purpose now. He goes, mm. I kind of was sort of waiting to die before. <laughs> And he feels like he's been born again at 85. And I was just really interested because I was like, okay, this is like shows that even at 85, your life can suddenly change. You know, mm. you're never, and it just showed me that he it was so beautiful that he was still so open to have a conversation openly with someone much younger. You know, there was like 50 years between us in age. I haven't even lived as old as the difference between our age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he was open to having a, a conversation with me and really talking. And he shared his like emotions and he shared his life and things that he'd really struggled with. And obviously being that old, he had been through some real odd and crazy times. And he'd even been in a Nazi camp when he was 10 years old and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's like he went through all his stories and it was really interesting. But I think half of it was just someone actually gave him the time to have a conversation as well. Hmm. So I think it's like it was like mutual. I think he, I was really happy that he was talking with me, but I think he was also happy someone's listening and talking. <laughs> hmm. and yeah. I think, um, like I said, just the communication, I think is such a powerful thing to connect and it's what one of the things that makes us so different from everything else on this earth is our power of communication and sound, variety of sounds. And to be able to do that, it's just a, a beautiful thing. So it's like even if you have a conversation with someone and you can share that love, that compassion, that's beautiful. You've done a really good thing in that day or in that moment and acknowledging and appreciating that. I want to ask you as well, if, uh, if you was now to go back to yourself at, say, 15 years old, and you mm-hmm. have to have a conversation with yourself and sit there. What do you think your younger self would think of you now? <laughs> Interesting question. How would they look at you as, a, as, a, as your external environment? And if you think that, if that younger one would concentrate only on the external, or do you think they would notice internal developments? Do you think you'd be on a quest to try and prove something to them? <laughs> like, would they be happy with where you are, how you are? Hmm. So at 15, I was in a, in a space of deep questioning. So had I met myself now, I would be very shocked almost to see how little externally has changed or how much internally had, uh, had expanded yeah. in terms of ability to ability to know oneself Um, because at the time I was very much questioning my purpose my identity Um, I was in a very dark space around you know just not seeing uh, hope in in humanity and um, in the future and I suppose having a conversation with me now would 
would be something that I'd be I'd be really happy to have. <laughs> I know. And how do you see it the other way? What do you see if now you could go and see yourself or visit yourself in 15 years' time, 10 years' time? Where do you think you will, what would you like to see in yourself and where do you think you will be? Hmm. Well, the what, I have no idea. Um, I can say that one of my dreams is to be, um, to, to extend the, um, I mean, one of my big dreams is to be able to create a city. <laughs> and uh, the reason why I want to do that is to draw diverse people who share a common goal to, to build something that we all collectively choose to, uh, to collaborate and to, to work with. So it could be a city, it could be a big project, it doesn't really matter. It's just the sense of collaboration, of union, of coming together to build on something that benefits the many rather than the few. Um, yeah, it's interesting, like you say, when you say city, not village, or thing like I said, that uses a large community. Mm, and definitely it's purposely something that is not removed from the city in itself. So it's almost like buying up loads of property in a neighborhood and just making that neighborhood into something totally different from the other neighborhoods. So then people walk down the street and go like, shit, there's so many birds, there's so many trees, there's so much nature, there's like zero green waste, it's like net, net carbon emissions. Like what the, how is this possible? Like that's, that's kind of what I would love to see myself being able to participate and to be around that's it is to to see myself being around humans who are who are driven to through creativity to build and create things that just are so inspiring and connecting to to the virtual what it means to be a human being that's that's kind of what I would like to see more oh, beautiful uh, nice 15 years yeah yeah no so saying that's always interesting me saying very similar like but for me it was like I was always like I always looked at different like political structures and I was like, oh, I'd like to be a mayor or a government, like someone that, because I, at the time I saw that they would be the one that makes the place how it is and can change it. As mm. I grew, you hear like the different ways it all works. But I always saw the town I was from in England is um, right next to the Gatwick airport. I don't know if you know mm. the area or not, but I used to play a game called SimCity. You play, ever okay. played that? <laughs> yeah. And um, so I was interested, like you build your town and you set up your zones and like you try and make it thrive. You know, and I looked at my own hometown. I was like, we've already got an airport. We're in between London and uh, Brighton, like two huge places of tourism and stuff. And we're right in the middle. So I was like, this should be a thriving city. This should be like the best city. It's got so much potential. And like, as the years gone past, like my brother tells me now, like it's just gone downhill so bad. There's so many drug addicts, homeless people, uh, shops shut down. Gatwick's pretty much shut down. And he's like, it's just, it's not gone the way it thought. For me, it was always like, how can you how can you take one of them already developed places and redevelop them? Um, they say, and make them more sustainable, use different materials and the things that are available and we can see and, and hear about so much that are so beneficial to sort of sustainable eco and mental health, you know, because it changes your perception with more nature. It makes you feel a part of life instead of being... Like you can be in a sort of form of tower block, but if you're in just a concrete jungle, mm. you know, you see how that causes a bit of chaos. You see that it's, you know, if you don't have the parks and you don't have the wildlife and you don't have things around, you know, it's, it's just not 
you know it doesn't help you develop your so, sort of self that mm. i see yeah no um, it'd be really interesting to see where where that progress goes and um hopefully i come to i come stay at your city for a little while <laughs> well we can definitely <laughs> check it in, in 15 years and see what's happening yeah i um, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience like cuz you're saying you do work with people and things where would they go to find you to find your information or to follow you or to learn more about you hmm. um so currently i suppose um conventional social media so facebook instagram and twitter uh they all have the tag of thomas katan and to view my website at the moment it's it's built on notion so i'm using a friendlier uh ui code which is uh, bit bit.do/thomascatan um and one thing that i wanted to share that just stemmed out from what you just said was the sense of absolutely like behavior is created by design which is so in my opinion so empowering because if we are in an environment that we feel disempowered we have the ability to learn how to design it in a way that sustains us and there's one thing for anybody that is interested in science is to learn and research the difference between positive and negative ions so negative ions tend to be the the ions that nature generates so uh plants uh the sound of rain so the sound of water that is is falling um so when we take a shower the reason why it's so cleansing we feel so refreshed it's also because we have the water that is breaking the 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 noise so it's breaking those positive ions and positive ions tend to be created by electrical uh devices so from tablets from phones from uh phone lines and absolutely so if we live in a block in a flat that doesn't really have soft lighting that doesn't really have colors that make us feel connected and happy or doesn't have textures that brings sensations to us and if it's everything that we're doing in that environment it's just um uh the word comes uh, i can't remember the word that i'm trying to say if the only purpose it's in its usability then there's also a part of us that's not been expressed because our external environment is also a reflection of our internal one and the beauty of designing our external space whether it is our own bedroom or even just a, a fraction of the house or whatever it is we have the ability that in our downtime when we feel disconnected when we feel sad or low we can access that space observe it and go shit that's that's what that's who i am that's what i'm capable of bringing to this world how did i slip down here and then shift into perspective to how did i slip to hmm where's the exit where's the escalator that will take me back and that is again those anchor points those happy um pillars that just enables us to support the vision moving forward when inevitably we're going to fall down so the point is let's not really focus on how not to trip rather let's focus on how to catch ourselves from tripping or how to learn to to stand up when we trip over so yeah, a bit like what we were saying with the 
right at the beginning with the knockout blows. It's like if you're if you're in the ring and you get knocked out, it's some people do get up and still win. You know, some people keep going. Yeah. It's not always a, definitely a knockout blow. Mm. And yeah, I, I used to play rugby, so my analogy is whenever you get tackled, that's not the end of the game. That's part of the game. What happens? You get up. You you keep going, and you have a you have a vision. You have a goal. You have a touchdown that you want to get to. So when we have that that goal or that vision in mind, it's it generates so much energy. And whenever we get tackled, we just get up and go, okay, cool, let's keep going. Yeah. And just just a quick one on your rugby. I played rugby for a little while for my local town. Nothing too big, but hmm. what what position were you in? Uh, I was uh, right wing. Right wing. Um, okay, so you're the fast one. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was second row in the scrum, and I didn't uh, like being getting my ears and my head crushed so much. But <laughs> I get that. I see that's interesting because I, even though I was the wing, I always uh, enjoy just meeting the contact, um, and I kind of used to just enjoy running towards where the um, let's call it the friction was, and uh, yeah, just. Again, yeah, well, I found it interesting, like what you say with the tackle and getting knocked down part of the rugby mm. when I played it. It was like everyone got excited to try and tackle someone, it was like the takedown was exciting, mm-hmm. you know. And if you're taken down, it was almost like it wasn't bad, it was almost funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends on the context and the circumstance, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, the, the, the reflection of what we do in the physical world is just a great reflection of how the mind works and also. The gifts that we have inside and, and just practicing feedback 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 like people are constantly feedbacking where we are and that's the beauty of connecting with people some people feedback our mindset of fear and then we go okay cool i'm in this mindset what do i need to do to change and that's that's the beauty of the game yeah I have 12 short questions for you. Now, some of them are going to be one answer questions. Some okay. you might want to go a little deeper on. So I'm going to ask you these. These are the same 12 questions I ask everyone that I interview. Sure. Um, so the very first question is, what is your excited noise? What's my excited noise? What uh, noise do you burst out with if you've got, just got so much excitement in you? And if you've had that amount of excitement that you've burst into a noise? Yeah, usually it's a high-pitched laugh. It's almost like a ha-ha, but uh, okay. I, I can't do it genuinely on this. Yeah, no, it has to be. You have to be excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, usually it's laughter. And if you could only choose one, cat or a dog? Well, this is a tough one. Um, I'm going to go with dog as the, that's the, the especially, especially dogs because... I learned a lot how to communicate um, and how to how to step away from my depression by observing how they were interacting without using words and oh, nice. think about emotional communication, how you can show what your intention is without using words, by just using the body and also embodying that emotion. So that's what I would say. Oh, nice. What's your favorite color? Uh, purple. Oh, so it's, the last guess was, was purple, and mine is purple, and now you're purple. That's three purples. <laughs> what excites you creatively, spiritually, and emotionally? 
it's seeing this is what just gets me wired up it's just seeing how a human being and where where this is it when i see damn i don't know how to do or to fix this and somebody just steps into the space and just takes charge and goes hey i built a business to solve this problem i'm like shit this is like super creative and cool like i just learned about a business i can't remember the name of it they synthesize they break down um skin from the oranges so orange peels they break it down and Mm -hmm. it takes about three oranges with some um, throwaway sawdust to create 3d printed objects like that's like what so you're reducing (laughs) food waste and you're reducing other type of like compost waste and you're creating something that is usable and it also smells like oranges like this is like insanely cool you can adapt it to any 3d printer that you have like this is what get, just gets me hyper and just makes me feel alive. Oh, nice. What turns you off? Turns me off. Mm, what does the opposite of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What turns me off is when I can't see that beauty. When I feel there's, I've been triggered with so much pain inside of me that I go into level one listening when I'm not, partici- I'm not participating in the world. I'm just reveling in my own pain. And I feel that disconnection from the world. That's what turns me off. It's it's when I recognize that. Yeah, and I think that's something I can resonate with. I think anyone that's experienced a sort of deep level of depression, you just didn't when you when you get out even a little bit, there can be a lot of fear that you're gonna go back in. And there is a process of in and out, in and out. Um, and for me, it took a long time to break the fear pattern that I I won't go back. And even if I do, I'll get back out, like stand up again. Yeah. Um, yeah, it can cause a lot of. Uh, a lot of fear to not want to be there because it's a dark place. Hmm. What what sound or noise do you love? Mm, crickets. Crickets. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, just. I mean, I, I moved back to a city, so I'm constantly hearing the sounds of cars, which I'm not used to anymore. And I really re- noticed how my body just um, took it on a on a. It, it just felt constantly alert as if it was, yeah, I just felt really stressed out by hearing the noise of traffic. And it has taken me a good three months to get used to it. And I went to the park and I heard the crickets and I was just like, just taken to a different space. I was just like, wow. like this yeah, is It's quite amazing. a rhythmic sound, isn't it? When they're all going and it's like all around you. Exactly. So yeah. I just, Back I to that vibration we were saying earlier. It's um... mm, Yeah. Okay, and what's up? You might say traffic now, but what sound or noise do you hate? Ooh, um, <laughs> I would say most things that are have been built uh, or created out of um, disruptive harmony. Okay, and what's your greatest fear? Hmm. What flows to mind first? May not be your greatest if you thought about it a long time, but what popped up into your mind? Well, at the moment it's blank and I'm just sitting with the feelings. Um, and I, f- okay, the sensation I'm getting is my, it, my biggest fear is fearing that I'm not able to communicate and to express myself. Oh, inter- 
Interesting. Maybe that's to do with also being on the podcast and having to express and communicate. <laughs> maybe it's um, brings that. Well, maybe your mind's going into a wondering whether you communicated, expressed what you needed. Uh, not particularly. It's it's more like I'm feeling this. Um, I wouldn't call it pain, but it, there's definitely some compression in my chest. It's almost like being sucker punched at the idea that when I speak, there's nobody around me. It's almost there's there's emptiness, and it's the sensation is essentially what I felt when I was really depressed. There's the sense of nobody sees me and nobody can hear me because I'm not expressing myself. And oh. yeah, which then ties into this level of, you know, what, you know, what turns me off is this level of feeling disconnected. Yeah, interesting. Um, and what do you challenge about yourself? Ooh, everything. I'm not even joking. <laughs> I question literally everything. And I have learned in that to give space and time and to acknowledge that that's something that my brain does. And it's one of my gifts when I allocate time for it. And it's one of my biggest downturn when I allow it to take over my time. Nice. And what do you love about yourself? Hmm. Uh, I would suppose my playfulness. You suppose? Uh, being playful, my <laughs> playfulness. <laughs> and what do you love about others or in others? The feeling is um, there's three things. One is resilience, uh, the fact that whether a person is depressed, uh, unhappy, whatever it is, they're still choosing to participate in this world. They're still choosing to opt for maybe tomorrow is going to be different. And I, I really like that because that shows to me there's a willingness. And, and within that, there's a passion that is, is seeking to express itself. And that's what, man, that's just amazing, just to see a human go from, from a place of deep learning to a space of deep expression. And that's just fantastic. Okay. What do you love about animals? Mm. I feel it's their ability to, to live in the moment. And, <laughs> and similar to a cat's, um, it's to really be confident. It's, it's to trust their abilities rather than their minds. That's it. Oh, nice. It's uh, often the, the, the answer to come back for so many is, is the being in the moment part, something that mm. animals are, seem to be uh, able to do a lot quicker than most people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, yeah, they, they're, like I so said, they're such gifts and offer so much in our development if we, if we allow them to. Mm -hmm. I, I want to thank you so much. I truly appreciate you being here and all your time. And um, that's the end of the show. It's been a pleasure to hear your story and some of your journey. And I know you've obviously lived a longer life than an hour. And I think it's been about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. So I hope we got into some, some deeper areas that maybe you haven't thought about or talked about in a while, or maybe never expressed out loud. Because I think the power of even 
vocalizing certain things in our life just brings it to surface again for us to reanalyze and um, find a new balance and a new new construction. Like I said, this is the selfish podcast. So it already has gifted me in the experiences, made me go into places and think, and I know it will continue to do so. So I'm grateful for you um, being of service to just me, but also to the listeners and for being open and sharing and, and just giving openly. It's beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Luke. And absolutely, this each person has the ability to draw something different out. And uh, I was definitely fa- I, yeah, just fascinated to where the conversation was going and just being present in the moment and no agenda and just noticing how you reflected certain things that added to perception of things that I, I have already explored. And that was something really interesting to revisit from that from your lens so thank you for that yeah and thank you i hope you have a beautiful rest of your day whatever you're up to thank you and you too yeah keep me updated with your with your progress and anything you get up to i'm very interested here and i'm gonna go check out your website after this as well thank you so much for being here and listening to the selfish podcast I'm your host, Luke Greenheart, and I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel. Just search Luke Greenheart on YouTube. You'll find me. Check out my website, lukegreenheart.com. Have an amazing day and stay tuned for more episodes. I'll be interviewing guests on their path of self-development, their paths of self, getting to know them in much more intimacy, much more depth, sharing and connecting with all so we can have a much more blissful, joyful and productive life together. All right. Much love. Have a great day. Thank you.